0: Think with us about the angels at Christmas time. Welcome. It's another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot, who called us to live to a higher standard each day and not be satisfied with just a little religion in life, a shallow substitute for what we could have. As our series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, friends, and others who are influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. It is good to have you with us today, and Merry Christmas. Well, it's just a two week series on Christmas related themes, and today it's mentioning Christ in Christmas and a look at angels. We'll be hearing from Elizabeth's brother, Jim Howard, as he talks about a Christmas story related to Jim Elliot when Jim Howard was just seven years old. And Johnny Eric Santana will join us uh, for some thoughts on suffering, heaven, and hymns. Three subjects that come up a lot in her thinking and maybe in yours as well. But right now, it's part one of our two-week, four-part series. This is Mentioning Christ in Christmas.
1: You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliott, talking with you today about the, how shall I put it, the fact that we Christians sometimes feel that we are under siege by the secular world, especially by the secular media, because we really don't get the same kind of treatment that other religions are likely to get. And a feminist writer in Toronto's Globe and Mail asked this question, do Christians genuinely feel that their culture is under siege if the Christmas pageant is called the Winter Festival? If the kids sing Jingle Bells instead of Away in a Manger? if there's no plastic baby Jesus allowed in the classroom? Well, I'm not sure how most Christians would answer the question, but it is very interesting how the general public is responding to an answer that came out in a poll in Canada. This was their answer. Yes, they do feel their culture is under siege they do feel that too many things are being taken away from them. They are increasingly intolerant and they are turning against what is called multiculturalism. Now, this is most unfair because the legalistic changes in our society, prohibiting the mention of Christ at Christmas in public institutions, for example, were not made because of the protests of Jews Muslims, Sikhs, Buddhists, or Hindus. Did you realize that? Those changes were not made because of the complaints registered by Jews, Muslims, Sikhs, Buddhists, and Hindus, but by people who emerged from the Christian culture. People who have turned bitterly against it want to see all trace of Christian culture eradicated. The immigrants are not the reason for the changes. They are merely the excuse. They provided the opportunity. Now there has always been strong evidence of this. For one thing, many of the people of color, the immigrants and others are practicing Christians. It can hardly be on behalf of these that Christian symbolism is being eradicated. Was it then non-Christian elements who sought it, it was not. Mark Wexler, Simon Fraser University specialist in ethics and a practicing Jew said, the net effect of banning Christmas and religious symbols in public is to discourage religiosity and spirituality. The unintended consequence of trying to be fair is that you silence an aspect of humankind that is rather interesting and should not only be tolerated but brought forth. Mohan Sarai, president of Vancouver's Akali Singh Sikh temple said, Sikhs are not offended when public schools celebrate Christmas. Sikhs respect all faiths. Don Lee, head of the Chinese Canadian Lee Benevolent Association, who follows the teaching of Confucius, said, The religious neutering of Christmas and the values of love and goodwill that go with it is one of the reasons young people now learn their dubious morality from TV. Moves to erase public expressions of Christianity have gone too far. It's too politically correct. It's too absolute. What has not been touched on, although perhaps might be, is if the demand to abolish the Christian Christmas did not emanate from non-Christian minorities, then where did it come from? The answer, says Fred Byfield in his column in the Alberta Report, he says, is it came from where everything else that is politically correct comes from, the lobby groups. The media and the bureaucracy those who for at least 25 years have been largely running the country and again i remind you that we're speaking about canada here but i think almost everything that is said would apply equally in america fred byfield says we are discovering whether in referendums or elections or opinion polls that the general populace is increasingly disenchanted with the way the country is being run and this disenchantment has reached the field of multiculturalism I think if immigrants themselves were polled, we would find that they strangely share in the belief of adopting a national culture. Among these I've talked to, certainly the great misgiving they have about Canada is not the fact it's attempting to impose a religion or culture upon them, requiring their children to sing Silent Night or endure the plastic baby Jesus in the classroom. Rather, it's that their children are being given the idea that right and wrong is purely a matter of choice. As long as they can get away with it, they can do anything they please. There seems to be no culture whatever. Consequently, there is no rationale for moral consensus and ultimately no grounds for society even existing. Not only do they realize they cannot possibly raise their children in such a vacuum, they fear that the country itself will fall apart. This is immigrants who are talking. Now, the blame for this circumstance lies squarely upon those who have brought about the changes. They have destroyed the public mythology and tradition we once had and have replaced it with absolutely nothing. Mother, they tell us, must no longer stay home with the children. She must go out to work. But then who will stay home with the children? They do not know. Children, they say, must not be subjected to an imposed morality. They must decide things for themselves, but suppose they decide wrong, suppose they decide to kill, rob, bully, and destroy. How can we tell them to desist without imposing a morality upon them? For this, too, they have no answer. Men and women, they say, must be free to cohabitate without the restraint of religious taboo and the ritual of marriage, and divorce must be easy and accessible. But then who and how are the children to be raised? How is the woman who has lost her livelihood to be supported? No answer. These, not the immigrants, not the minorities, are the people who demand that Christ be taken from Christmas. To be replaced, you wonder, with what? Without Christ, what are we celebrating? No answer. There are vague allusions to nature and trees and love and humanity, But please, nothing religious. So how do we get out of this? How do we recover what we have lost? We might begin by thinking about the baby. Not the plastic one, but the real one. Contemplating that baby, the Apostle John saw what he called the light of men. He wrote, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never put it out. We have tried very hard lately, but somehow it is still shining. And you know that that plastic baby in the manger that we're talking about was a real baby. His name was Jesus. His mother, Mary, the Virgin Mary, was told in advance what his name would be. Was he merely a man? C.S. Lewis said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come away with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Hear what Sir Isaac Newton, a great mathematician, said. We account the scriptures of God to be the most sublime philosophy, I find more sure marks of authenticity in the Bible than in any profane history whatsoever." Blaise Pascal, philosopher and physicist. How can anyone lose who chooses to become a Christian? If when he dies there turns out to be no God and his faith was in vain, he has lost nothing. In fact, he has been happier in life than his non-believing friends. If, however, there is a God and a heaven and hell, then he has gained heaven, and his sceptical friends will have lost everything in hell. Michael Faraday. Speculations, man, I have no speculations. I am resting on certainties. I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Thomas Jefferson. Of all the systems of morality, ancient and modern, which have come under my observation, none appear to me so pure as that of Jesus.
0: I was mentioning Christ in Christmas a little bit later. A look at angels, and we'll hear from Johnny Erickson Tata, ministry leader and singer, artist, and speaker. Right now, though, it's Jim Howard, Elizabeth's brother and he was just seven when a special Christmas event happened. How well did he know his brother-in-law, Jim Elliott?
2: He and my brother David were classmates in college. They were both on the wrestling team together. They were very close friends all through their years, in those years. So David invited Jim to come to our home in New Jersey. Jim... His home was in Portland, Oregon. But he did come. He came at Christmas time, which would have been Christmas of 1947, I believe. I was seven years old at the time, so my recollections were from early childhood. And Jim seemed like a big brother in the family to me. He was big and strong, like my brothers were. So I admired him as I admired them. On Christmas morning, I stepped on one of my Christmas gifts that I had just opened. It was a very small horse and buggy made in England, made out of metal, and I was very pleased to get it at Christmas, and and I stepped on it and bent something out of shape, and Jim said to me while I was weeping over my loss, "Uh, bring it here and we'll fix that for you. So he did fix my little horse and buggy. And, of course, my estimate of him went up at that point, because I was cheered up. Uh, Sometime later, I was in junior high school, and I had to make a banner for my class, and it needed to include a five-pointed star. Well, I didn't know how to do that geometrically, but Jim was visiting in our home, and he said, well, I'll help you with that, so... He spread the job out on the dining room table and did it in no time flat and made it very geometrically correct. So, again, a happy memory.
0: It's good to reminisce around this time about uh, favorite Christmas stories. That was Jim Howard, brother of Elizabeth. Later on, Johnny Erickson Tada will join us. A few of her thoughts from the Wheaton Memorial Service back in 2015. Right now, though, a look at angels. Hmm. Luke 2, there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men.
1: In Christmas decorations and store windows, and on Christmas cards, we often see pictures of angels. And often, those I would say, very often, maybe more often than not, the angels are depicted as female. Well, people who do that haven't really read the Bible because the Bible nowhere depicts an angel as anything like a woman. I'd like to read you a lovely little piece written by Lucy Shaw, who is a well known Christian poet, about angels. She starts with quoting Hebrews 1 17 and 14. He makes his angels winds, flames of fire, ministering spirits. What's it like to meet an angel? Angels, we think of them either as miniature dolls with wings, decorating Christmas trees, molded in papier-mâché, or plastic, blowing trumpets, strumming lyres, or cupping candles. Or as babies, chubby cherubs, gilded and poised in some medieval church building or painting, whimsical, decorative, and harmless. In fact, we almost equate angels with the good fairies in children's stories. But what was it like for any of the people in the Bible who met a real angel? Zechariah in the temple was startled and gripped with fear when Gabriel made his sudden appearance. Mary, a young girl, was greatly troubled. The shepherds on the midnight hillside outside Bethlehem were terrified. In every case in St. Luke's account, the angel needed to calm some degree of human anxiety with the words, Fear not, or Don't be afraid before voicing a momentous message direct from God. This Advent, when we see angels adorning shopping malls, lamp posts, and wrapping paper, remember that these heralds from heaven, angel literally means messenger, don't fit our stereotype. Biblical evidence suggests that angels are large, formidable, brilliant, and immensely powerful, terrible, In that they inspire terror. The Bible calls them ministering spirits, winds, flames of fire, at work for God in our world and beyond, warriors who wage war with Satan's dark angels. In a poem, I once described angels as clean as steel wires, shining as frost, making holiness beautiful aiming at the will of God like arrows flaming to a target. Angels are never there just to beautify the landscape. They're often our protectors, and always their appearance brings significant news from God that demands human response or action. dictu, Lucy has thrown in a little Latin phrase there, which means wonderful to relate, they have been sent to serve those who inherit salvation. Hebrews 1 14. That's us. We're the ones who inherit salvation. So in this time of Advent, watch for angels, not only in the historical drama of the Incarnation, but in our own lives. Be alert for God's surprises, messengers with messages that will startle us out of our complacency. My prayer is Lord, make us aware of the realities we cannot see. Send your messengers to us today. That's the end of Lucy Shaw's piece. And I want to remind you of how many times angels appear in the Christmas story. An angel, the angel Gabriel, appeared first to Mary in Luke one twenty six. Can you picture the scene? A humble Jewish girl in a very humble little home in a little out-of-the-way place called Nazareth. Perhaps she was spinning wool. Perhaps she was sweeping the floor. Who knows what she was doing when suddenly there was this dazzling stranger standing before her. She was troubled, greatly troubled, the scripture says. Then Joseph, a righteous man, who when he found out that his fiancée Mary was pregnant, did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. It's very interesting, isn't it, that Joseph had already assumed responsibility for this girl because he was going to marry her. Betrothal was a very serious business in Bible times, almost as serious as marriage itself, as serious, I would say, as far as the actual commitment, although... There was no intimacy until after the marriage. But we're told here the first thing we know about Joseph, he was a righteous man. He was sensitive, thoughtful, kind. He did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace, even though at that point he could not have helped believing that Mary had been unfaithful to him. And this is why he had it in mind to divorce her quietly. But what happened? An angel appeared, and the angel told him not to be afraid that that which was conceived in her had been conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. And so he need not fear to take her as his wife. That's in Matthew 1, verse 20, and a few verses following that. And then, you remember, the angels appeared to the shepherds. First of all, one angel... And when I went back to check out this story again, I had forgotten that it was just one angel who came first with a message, and the shepherds were terrified. And then a great company of the heavenly host, presumably angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. So here we are to the fourth uh, manifestation of angels, a great company praising God. It was an angel who appeared to Joseph in a dream and Joseph then went to Egypt and again an angel appeared to him in a dream telling him to go back now to Israel because Herod is dead. So God got his message across to Joseph twice through angels who came to him in a dream. I wonder, I can't help wondering which angel it was. Was it Gabriel? We're not given his name. I wonder if it was the same angel each time that appeared to him in a dream. And then in Matthew 2.22, he was told in a dream, and this time I don't think an angel is mentioned, it was just in a dream that he was told that Archelaus, Herod's son, was now reigning. So Joseph was able to go back to Galilee at that time. I've heard some wonderful stories about angels. One of them was from my son-in-law way back when he was in his rebellious time, in his early 20s. He had gotten so down, so depressed, that he felt his life was no longer worth living, and he did actually attempt suicide. I can't help being grateful to God, tremendously grateful to God for his rescue of him, as I'm sure there are many other people that are grateful to God for that too. But he drove his car 100 miles an hour, slammed into a parked car both cars burst into flame there were some bystanders there who said that nobody could possibly have gotten near that car well all we know is somebody pulled that man out of that car somebody put him into an ambulance all he remembers is being in the ambulance and waking up and realizing that his suicide attempt had been a failure There was an occasion when my father was a little boy. He and a friend were climbing around on a house that was under construction. He walked out onto the end of a board, which he thought was nailed at the other end. When he got out to the end, he discovered that it wasn't nailed, and the board began to move down. There was no way that he was going to be rescued. Uh, He was on the second floor but it was as if an invisible hand pushed that board back again, and he was able to walk back in safety. It's a wonderful thing to realize that God has those ministers, flames of fire, winds, ministering spirits who always do his bidding. We're told that the angels of little children always behold the face of the Father, Isn't that a lovely thought? Thank God for the angels and their protection. Trust God to lead us and to protect us in the ways that he knows are best. That was simply called Angels. Well, before we go, we have the privilege
0: of hearing from ministry leader Johnny Erickson Tata. She spoke of the 2015 Wheaton Memorial Service for Elizabeth. She talked about suffering. She talked about heaven and hymns as well.
3: I can't talk about her views on suffering without mentioning her longing and joy for heaven. Oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, glory for me. When by his faith I shall look on his face, that will be glory, be glory for me me. Heaven is a place for holy inhabitants, and Elizabeth got herself ready for heaven by making holiness her entire life's pursuit and passion. No wonder she looked forward to those gates of splendor, and it is reflected, I think, in one of her favorite hymns, In Heavenly Love Abiding. Lars spoke of this in the memorial service at Gordon. And I have to believe that through the fog and fuzziness of her severe dementia, she was comforted by that last stanza. Green pastures lie before me, which yet I have not seen. Blue skies shall soon be o'er me, where darkest clouds have been. My hope I cannot measure. My path to life is free. My Savior has my treasure. And he will walk with me.
0: Singer, artist, speaker, Johnny Erickson Tata. Well, as our time comes to an end, let me thank you for letting us come into your home, your office, along with you as you took that walk, wherever we found you today. On behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out elizabethelliot.org for more devotionals, videos, and Gateway to Joy programs. From Spotify comes a comment uh, on a program on Offering to God. Someone writes, such an encouragement to learn about the old hymns of the faith. 11 61 There's a name. That person says, love listening to Elizabeth Elliott podcasts. So helpful and faith strengthening. Thanks. Well, those comments were from Spotify. Wherever you happen to be picking us up, thanks for listening, and leave a note if you get a chance. Until next time, when we have one more Christmas-themed program, may God remind you each and every day that you're loved with an everlasting love, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Merry Christmas.